The Lord be with you. A reading from the beginning of the Holy Gospel according to John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came to be through him, and without him nothing came to be. What came to be through him was life, and this life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. A man named John was sent from God. He came from testimony to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came to be through him, but the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, but his own people did not accept him. But to those who did accept him, he gave power to become children of God, to those who believe in his name who were born not by natural generation, nor by human choice, nor by a man's decision, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, the glory as of the Father's only begotten Son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, The one who is coming after me ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. From his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace. Because while the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only begotten Son, God who is at the Father's side, has revealed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Do yourself a favor. Go home and read that gospel again, today or tonight. It's the very beginning, the justly famous prologue of the Gospel of St. John. So it's not hard to find in your Bible. Turn to the Gospel of John. Right at the beginning of the Gospel, there it is. But read it. Read it slowly. Read it before the turning of the new year. Read it today. Read it tonight. And let the words penetrate you.
In an earlier age in the church's history, Mass was not over until that gospel was read every day. It was called the last gospel, and it was inserted at the end of the liturgy so that after everything, the church paused for this gospel. That says something about the importance of what is there. And so read it. Let it penetrate you with the very heart of this mystery that we celebrate during this time of Christmas. This mystery of the Word made flesh. This mystery of that one who comes to us as an infant and yet who is more than an infant. And there is no passage of Scripture that communicates the more of this season, the more of this mystery in a better, more effective, more majestic, more beautiful way than this passage from the Gospel of St. John. This passage, which in a curious way summarizes the entire Gospel in a few sentences. It summarizes who Christ truly is and what Christ has done for us in a few sentences and in a way that invites the spirit itself, our spirit, our heart, to soar in contemplation and adoration of this great mystery. This mystery before which every knee really should bend. It's why during this time of Christmas, we amplify that custom which is built into the liturgy and again, unfortunately, is largely ignored. When we say the creed on Sunday and on the great feast days, the rule of the church for everybody, not just Father, is that at the words, and by the Holy Spirit, he was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man, the rule is Everybody present saying those words bows at those words. Not a nod of the head, not a folding of the hands and a looking down, but an actual bowing of the body at those words those words which recall the great mystery of the humility of the Lord emptying himself and taking up our flesh. But during these days, as we did on Christmas Day, the church asks for something greater than a bow. It asks us to kneel at those words, to literally get on our knees in Submission to and adoration of this mystery. Note how important this mystery of the Word becoming flesh is for us. We acknowledge it with a movement of our bodies every time we announce it, 
every time we speak of it at Mass. And it is unfortunate that in all too many of our parishes, in all too many of our churches, we neglect this. And on the one hand, one can say, well, Father, it's just a simple gesture. How important can it be? But none of these things are in the liturgy by accident. And when we pause and we do something with our bodies, it is a sign of what should be happening in our spirits and in our hearts. And often when we don't attend to these physical gestures, we likewise fail to attend to their spiritual counterparts as well. And so it is important. And note, this is the mystery that we bow toward. And not something else, the mystery of the Word becoming flesh. Of he who is in the beginning with God, he who is God, reducing himself in this mysterious way to be like us. Because let's be honest, Jesus doesn't gain anything in the Incarnation. The Word becoming flesh is not Jesus getting a bonus. To become like us is not a step up for the Son of God. It's a step down. He empties himself. He lays aside his glory. What does he take upon himself? Fragility. Weakness suffering, death. What does humanity have that is a gain for God? And note then that when we bow before this mystery, we are also making our own in a very real way the way that Christ bows before the glory of his Father. In obedience to his Father, he humbles himself. And so we have that beautiful prayer at the beginning of Mass today, where we, again, we say something that is worth paying attention to and worth puzzling over. In the nativity of your Son, we say to Almighty God, you have brought forth the beginning and the fulfillment of true religion. The nativity of the Lord is the establishment of true religion. I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you to tell me what that means. But what a remarkable thing to say, that in this mystery is the establishment of true religion. How can that be true? And if that is true, what is the truth that is presented to us? What is true religion? And again, think about that for a moment. What is true religion. 
Because in that prayer, in our collect for today, we have said that this mystery establishes true religion. What is that? And think of all the things you do as you practice your faith. And ask yourself that disturbing question. Are any of these things true religion? That's not to say they're good or bad, but are they the heart of the matter? What is true religion? And the church is telling us that it has something to do with this mystery, this mystery of the nativity of the Lord, that something is established in and through this mystery which captures the very essence of what religion, authentic religion, is. Right away, the first part of the answer to that question is, if it doesn't involve Jesus Christ, we are not dealing with true religion. Boy, that cuts against our... Uh, our big tent framework for the entire world. That lie which is so common and so frequently repeated even by those who bear the name Christian. In the end, it's all the same. No, it's not. No, it is not. There is something unique about Jesus Christ. And the full truth of religion involves Jesus Christ, and if it doesn't involve him, we do not have true religion. Note how important that is. Note how decisive this is. And note how John the Apostle in his prologue emphasizes that. True religion doesn't come from Moses because grace and truth come from Jesus Christ. And Jesus is decisive. And Jesus is different. We have seen his glory. The glory of the Father's only begotten Son, full of grace and truth. We have seen his glory. Right there. That is the essence of what the church does over the time of Christmas. We have seen his glory. The glory of the Father's only begotten Son full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but God, the only begotten Son, has shown him to us. To know God is to know Jesus Christ. There is no true and full knowledge of God without knowing Jesus Christ. 
to seek to know all other things, to study all other perspectives, to get graduate degrees in the philosophy of religion, is not to know God. If one doesn't know Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. Not Moses, not Abraham, not Isaiah. Their visions and their experiences fall short of seeing the fullness of God. God, the only begotten Son, has revealed him. Jesus is the face of God turned toward us. To see Jesus, to know Jesus, is to come to know God. In this mystery, you have established the beginning of true religion. There is now a face for us to gaze upon. Lord, let your face shine on us and we shall be saved. In this mystery, the face of God shines out onto the world in the human face of Jesus Christ. This is why in our prayer, in our meditation, it is so very important, so absolutely important that we never develop the kind of abstract spirituality that thinks the humanity of Jesus is optional, that it can be set aside, because this is how the Lord reveals himself to us and not some other way. And the the Word does not become flesh so that we replace him with abstract concepts and ideas. We do not replace the human person of Jesus Christ with abstract ideas of love, goodness, and charity. Rather, we understand the meaning of those things, especially love, by looking at the human life of Jesus Christ and learning from him what love is, what goodness is, what charity is is. The world has its definition of love. The world has its definition of generosity. We are not interested in that. We are interested in the generosity of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the charity of Jesus, the peace of Jesus. In him, we learn and we know what these things are the beginning of all true religion. Note note what it is that we celebrate here, how exquisitely important this mystery of the Word made flesh is. Because the fullness of revelation is Jesus, not the Bible. The Word of God is not a written word in a book. The word of God is a person. 
And as important as the inspired words of Scripture are, and they are absolutely important, they are all at the service of Him. In the words of the Scripture, He who is the Word speaks to us. Just as in the sacraments of the church, they are not simply vehicles of grace and blessing. He who is the Word through whom all things are made and through whom we are saved, He reaches out and touches us in those moments. They're not just rituals of the church. They are the ways that Christ himself continues to touch us, continues to reach us, including this great sacrament of Holy Communion where we come forward and we receive him. The essence of true religion is not a set of principles to be followed, not a set of points to believe in. Those are all important things. But by themselves, they get us nowhere if they do not bring us to the person that they serve. In this mystery, you have established true religion. How absolutely marvelous. We know where to look. This person, Jesus Christ, is our law. This person, Jesus Christ, is the center and the focus of our faith. In him and through him, we receive communion with God the Father. Note how marvelous that is. And amazingly, note how easy it is in all of our lives to lose that center, to move off of that focus, to make things so incredibly complicated. And yet the marvelously complicated tradition that we call our own in the Catholic Church is entirely at the service of him. He is the center. He is the engine. He is the meaning. And he is not simply the one from whom we learn these things. He himself is the vehicle of true religion. Jesus Christ is the priest who offers the sacrifice. Jesus Christ is the one who is himself the sacrifice. And Jesus Christ himself is that one who is pleased to bless that sacrifice. Note how marvelous that is. He is all things in our faith. And so it is then that in that manger, as the Lord shows his face to the world, he also shows us the face of true religion. Because on this day, the Lord shows us the face of perfect adoration of the glory of God. And the Lord shows us the face 
of perfect service of God. Why is he born? To be about the service of saving you and me. Why is he born? So that in this world, the good God, so worthy of being served with an infinite and perfect service, finally has one who can serve him infinitely and perfectly. That is Jesus. Not just our servant, but the servant of God. And the great God, the good God, so worthy of being adored with an infinite and perfect adoration, finally now has one on this earth whose heart will adore him infinitely and perfectly. This is Jesus. And that's what happens on this altar. And make no mistake about it, because we get this wrong all the time. Mass is not just about you getting to receive Jesus. On that altar, Jesus also worships God, his Father. We're not the ones who are doing the heavy lifting of prayer here. We're not the ones who are doing the heavy lifting of divine worship here. Silently, on that altar, before you or I get to receive him, he is praising God in an infinitely glorious and perfect way. Even as our minds are wandering, even as we're distracted, when the Lord is present, two things always happen. God is being worshipped perfectly, fully, and completely. And salvation comes to us. But salvation doesn't come to us without God being worshipped and adored perfectly, infinitely, and completely. And so when you stretch out your hands to receive him today, understand, you're not just stretching out your hand to the Lord who wants to be with you. He does. He does. But you're stretching out your hand to his worship, his adoration of his Father. And when you receive him into your heart, just as he did in that dingy stable on the day he was born for us, in that dingier stable of my heart, he will turn his face heavenward too. And he will praise and adore and glorify his Father, even as he brings salvation into my heart. And likewise with yours. Note how marvelous that is. Note how wonderful that is. The Word has become flesh. And from this world, from that manger, he turns his face heavenward. And he shows us the face of true worship, true religion, true goodness. What a great thing we celebrate. And there is absolutely nothing wrong after you receive him in Holy Communion today 
if you just pause and step to the side and let him do the heavy lifting of prayer and thanksgiving in your heart. And if we do that regularly, we will learn what true thanksgiving, what true adoration, what true prayer really are. Amen.